It's October 21st, 2006, and this is The Candid Frame. Welcome to an episode of the uh, Candid Frame. Um, my schedule right now is incredibly hectic, so I'm going to keep this introduction uh, uh, fairly short. I just again want to thank all the people who have recently written me um, with their kind words about about the podcast. Um, kind of like photography, I've been doing this uh, largely in isolation, and though I do see the numbers uh, in terms of subscriptions going up, I don't often hear. Um, from from the people who, who listen to the show. And uh, recently I've had several people uh, send me emails uh, regarding how much they appreciate the work that I've been doing here. And that really means a lot to me. I uh, very much appreciate um, it. Makes, it makes all the effort that I put and time that I put into uh, producing this show uh, all the more worthwhile. Uh, especially knowing that it means... Um, as much to me, as much to you, as as it does to me. So, um, thank you very much. Um, uh, before I get to my interview today, I just want to let you know, in two weeks, I'm going to have a very special interview. Um, though I have a long list of photographers that I want to interview, I do have my personal short list. And uh, I was lucky enough to have the chance to... Uh, interview a photographer who is on that shortlist and and uh, I'm very excited and thrilled about it so in two weeks I'll have that ready and up so uh, uh, it's something that uh, I know that you you're going to enjoy so uh, stick around but uh, today I'm going to focus on uh, a good friend of mine, Scott Stolberg. He's a, a he's a really accomplished stock photographer, travel photographer, whose whose work really resonates with me. Uh, and speaking to Scott, we are pretty much on the same page in terms of our passion and our interest in photography. Um, he could well be my uh, my twin if he, if it wasn't for the fact that he has more hair than me. But uh, besides that, he is he's he's wonderfully wonderfully talented, and he's very good at photographing people, which is I know one of the things that uh, intimidates uh, a lot of a lot of photographers out there, both professional and amateur. But Scott brings an, an enthusiasm and an excitement to his work, um, particularly when he's shooting people, when he's traveling, and even here in the states. That is that I think it's very important to have. Um, a lot of people can aspire to be a travel photographer, but if they're not willing to, to not only photograph people, but to try and connect with them, um, the chances for success are pretty limited. And as you'll hear in the interview, Scott is as much about creating beautiful pictures of people and locations. He's just as much interested in, in having an experience of connecting to the people that he interacts with. Uh, Creating an image alone isn't enough. It's it's really conjoining that 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 photograph with with an experience, which I think is one of the great things about photography is that it allows us the opportunity to do that. So, um, thanks again for listening and enjoy our conversation with Scott Stilberg. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, we can get started. Good. So thank you for agreeing to do this. Sure. It's, uh, <laughs> just down the street from where I work, so that, that works out ideally. That was easy. So t- tell me about the, the the moment when you first got that camera from your dad, and how that how that gift ended up, you know, changing your life. What was it about taking pictures that that clicked for you? I don't, I don't know. I think I, I was about ten years old, and uh, it was a small little plastic camera. And I don't I don't think I I don't think I realized how much it was going to impact my life um, for quite a while. And then I started playing with it, and I didn't I didn't realize till just a few years ago. My mom told me she used to be a photographer, and I had always wondered where I got this talent from. And I knew my grandfather was a photographer. But she was a photographer, and she used to shoot in clubs, and she used to shoot a lot of stuff. She actually worked in the TV business. She was she was on television shows a lot. Um, but she loved photography, and she told me she had a darkroom also, which was amazing. I didn't even know this till a few years ago. And she used to tell me she was developing all the time. So when I had my camera, and I was shooting, I just just fell in love with it. And and then at 13, when my parents built the darkroom for me, that was I tell people that's what made me really fall in love with photography because I could. I could see what I was doing and have complete control over my shots and dodge and burn and you know develop my film different ways and start to sepia tone and doing all those things. So the combination of being a young kid and being able to go out and and um, do what Einstein said, you know, you know, his thoughts were imagination is more important than knowledge. I tell people that that photography let my imagination go crazy and uh, come to life. And and the darkroom kind of cemented it in there. So what were you shooting um, back then? Yeah. Oh, you mean what would I shoot? Yeah. Were you shooting people early on? Because I know that's a lot of what you no. work is today. But I wasn't shooting a lot of people. I shoot my family. I remember shots of my brother leaning and looking really cool um, against our guest house. But uh, now I was shooting. God, birds up on the electrical wires, and I was shooting. Um, you know, animals in the neighborhood, and and. Uh, you know, I'd take it with me when we would go on trips. We always took trips in the summer. But I just saw all kinds of funky stuff, but I wasn't shooting a lot of people. It came years later. But were, were you learning primarily from your parents, or were you taking no. classes? Or where, where did you come into your knowledge of, of, of photography? Well, it was pretty... It was pretty self-taught and messing around. Mostly my photography came from books. You know, my parents would buy me a lot of books, go to the bookstore, everything that I could. Ansel Adams and, you know, and magazines. I still tell my students today, books is one of the best ways to learn photography in the world. I go to bookstores like Barnes & Noble or Borders or whatever, and I I just sit there. If I'm with friends, it's kind of a drag because... After a while, they want to leave after they've done looking. But I like to go by myself sometimes and just sit in the bookstore, just grab a spot, sit down, grab a few books, and just all of a sudden get immersed in all the amazing photography. Because books come out all the time on photography. It just never stops. And and a lot of times I'm really jealous when I see these photographs. But I'm also, it invigorates me and it motivates me. And it makes me want to go out and go, oh my God, I, I got to get something like that. But I, maybe I can even do it better, or maybe maybe I'll get something in a similar vein. And books, um, books just do it for me. And, well, I, was, and I get a lot of magazines too. I was talking to someone this this afternoon about that that very same topic, about looking at pictures of people whose work is is what I call better than yours, you know, because it gives you that gives you that inspiration to strive for mm-hmm. for more. But more importantly, I felt I feel that it it teaches you how to see 
you know you get to see the world through somebody's eyes mm-hmm. and when you see a photograph of something that you see in your life every day but you don't look at it mm-hmm. in that photographic way <laughs> exactly. all of a sudden your eyes are open that's what that's what those books provide it, it and you can't teach that in mm-hmm. yeah not just books but any kind of photography going on the web is great um, being a stock photographer if like I just came back from China Hong Kong Singapore and Thailand and um, what I do is I scope out things. I go on stock agencies. I type in all over Google, you know, different, you know, key areas. We look at travel books and see great things. And then we kind of know where to go and we can see how it's been photographed before and what can we do differently. And I, I one of the reasons I went to Shanghai was to photograph this bridge called the Nanpu Bridge, which is probably the most amazing bridge and freeway one of these curved ones that go around and around in a circle mm-hmm. that you can just imagine. It's just amazing. And we saw it in a book. And we, we, my friend and I, is a stock photographer. He's with Getty and I'm with Corbis. We were like, we got to get this thing. And we, we struggled for hours. We tried to get in apartment buildings. We were stopped by cops. No matter what we did, we finally went into a building and got up to the 26th floor with the police coming up and people complaining. And we, I just knew this was the angle. This is the only way we're going to get a different shot and get the shot. And we finally got into this apartment. And we said, can we, can we go over there and see if we can see this view? And she takes out all her laundry that was hanging up on her clotheslines, mm-hmm. pulls it down, opens up these sliding glass doors, and voila, the most amazing sight I've ever seen in my life. It was one of the hardest photographs I've ever had to go through to take because of all the how long it took and, and almost bribing the cops to let us up there in these, in these security buildings in Shanghai. And then we see the shot, and I got an image that I still have never seen again to this day. And so for me... It's it's worth all the the all the amount of energy you put into it. If you can get something that's different. Now I saw the image. My friend saw the image, and we said we got to try and get this. He was ready to give up when we were there because it was just too much work. And I said, please don't give up. Follow me, and and we did it. And it's things like that. When I I see something, and can I do it better, yeah. or can I get something that just knocks out people? Because I don't like to copy, but a lot of people are content with shooting the same thing. I don't want to do that. I want to try and I want to do something maybe similar, but I want to do it better. If possible. When was the moment you realized that you could actually do this as a living? Um, still hasn't happened. No. Um, <laughs> um, as a living? Well, I, I actually this year. Um, th- th- this year, because I've also been a landscape designer for about the past 20 years. And my mom and I have a company. We design gardens all over um, Los Angeles. So I've been teaching and shooting stock. And um, I do a lot of tutoring and help teach photography privately but I have been wanting to just stop wanting to just stop my landscaping and and be photographer full time because I have been traveling a lot and I kind of built it into my landscaping and take a lot of time off but after this many years of landscaping I mean that's what I majored in school landscape architecture um I sh- should have been photography because I did take photography in school, but I didn't stick. I didn't stick with it as my major because it's a tough one to make money in photography and make that your sole living. But I decided this year I'm going to be teaching a lot. I'm teaching a better photo like you. I'm teaching at UCLA Extension, um, doing private stuff. Uh, I teach at camera stores, um, doing my stock stuff, and I'm trying to just, just you know, make a decent living solely with photography and I think I've never been busier in my life so it's Uh, pretty amazing one of the students uh, one of my students asked um, when can you call yourself a photographer and I said and I told them well why why don't uh, all the students respond to that before I say anything but it, it poses an interesting question when did you identify as 
a photographer? Hmm, that's a good question. Because you, you, some people, it's really weird. There's a lot of egos in photography, um, and I don't like that because I, I don't like having an ego. Like, I don't say, look at this picture. Isn't that cool? And I've seen so many people do that. It's better like, hey, here's some new stuff. What do you think? And let them comment on it. Um, I, it's a tough one to say when you think you're a photographer, but I think you could probably call yourself a photographer when you know what you're doing. I don't think it really matters the amount of work you do. I think if you know what you're doing, if you know your camera, if you know about light, if you know about situations, if you know how to how to capture something somebody the right way, like in my faces course, it's about how to capture their persona, um, not just take a shot. One thing I talk about a lot at UCLA is. Um, is not to think like a tourist. People go out with their little point-and-shoot cameras. Oh, look, bomb, you know? It's like it's like the movie Caddyshack. The Japanese guy was shooting in, in the parking lot, and, 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 and Dangerfield goes, wang, it's only a parking lot. It was so funny, because it's true. It's like everybody just shoots. Hey, let me get a picture, you know? Who cares that I have to waste my time developing it later? Um, I tell people not to think like a tourist, and I think after you realize you're not a tourist anymore and you actually know how to put together something that's decent where people can go whoa rather than just next next because the worst thing is you come back from a vacation and you say hey you want to see my pictures people are like oh no I think I'd, I'd, I'd yeah. rather go you know scrape the blackboard um, but anyway I, I, it's, it's a tough call when I think when you finally when you realize you know what you're doing a lot of your images have, have focused on in your travels in Asia um, when did that attraction begin um, I had planned a trip with my friend David, and we were going to go to we were going to go to Thailand together. And um, I don't know, we just decided we wanted to go somewhere cool, and we both decided to do that. And this was years ago. This was actually '96, my first time. And right before we were going to leave, right the night before we were buying the tickets, he said, "You know what? I'm not sure if I want to go," and it just freaked me out. Like what? And I called. I called my friend Jim Zuckerman and I said, Jim, David doesn't want to go. What should I do? Should I go by myself or should I not go? Because we were going to kind of split things and everything. He goes, Scotty, go by yourself. Because I do it all the time, go by yourself. He talked me into it. Um, the next day I bought the ticket. The, ne- the next morning he was going to call me and tell me whether he wanted to go or not, David, because mm-hmm. I was waiting to see. And I was actually hoping he would say no, because I had decided he's going to do this to me. He's probably going to ruin my trip, telling me I don't want to go there. Let's yeah. go over here. I realized if he could do that to me right before we're buying the ticket, then I didn't, you know, he wasn't one of my best friends, but he was a great photographer. And the next morning he called me, and I was totally prepared. And he goes, Scott, I don't think I'm going to go. And I went, okay. I think I blew him away. And, and I bought my ticket the next day. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I realized I could travel. I've traveled all over the world by myself before, but I've never been to Asia. Uh, and I lived overseas. But going over there where it's so hot and muggy and, and it's so different than anywhere else, um, I am so happy that I went by myself. And I've been, this, I've been there five times. I just got back again. So Asia is a special place unlike anywhere else in the world. And I just I love, I love going there. What is it about it that appeals to you as opposed to other parts of the, the world that you visited? Probably the people. The people, number one, whether I'm in Burma or I'm in Japan, um, there's just something about the Asian culture that I really respect and I really like, and they're 
great people. They're always smiling. They'll give you the shirt off their back. Not as much as maybe in Fiji, where they really actually will. They, they go over there and they go, please marry my daughter. Um, they're not exactly like that, but they are incredible people. And one of the main reasons is because they photograph so well. Yeah. They photograph amazing. <coughs> it's just amazing. Well, it's one of the things that people uh, aspire to do when they think about being a travel photography, be a, becoming a travel photographer. That's a... That's a uh, an ideal goal for a lot of for a lot of people, but one of the things is that it involves taking pictures of people, which is one of the most terrifying things that <laughs> most people can think of. That's so funny. Um, so, when you go there, you you obviously don't speak all the languages uh, fluently. So, how do you how do you approach uh, approaching people to to take their pictures? Um, that's funny because people. I was just at UCLA last night. I was just. One of my students said, could you please talk about that for, for a while? I am so scared when I travel and I'm going somewhere, you know, in two weeks and overseas and I'm so scared about asking people to photograph them and, and what do you do? How do you do it? I said, you and I are completely different. I said, I have no problem approaching anybody. Uh, maybe because I'm a little gregarious, but I, I have no problem. And I told her what I do. I come up and I, and I have my camera um, and I say, oh, you look incredible. Can I please take a picture of you? I, I would love it. I have the added pressure of asking them first if they'll sign a model release because being a stock photographer, I need a release. If I'm going to shoot that picture, it's one thing that it might be a pretty picture to put up on my wall or my website, but it's another thing if I want to make money on that shot. Being a stock photographer is really a tough living, and it's and it's uh, very hard to it's very hard living. Um, it pays off a lot in the end, but that that model release is a very tough part of it so that's the added pressure having them to say okay to the release but I go up and I just police you know and if it's I don't speak their language I gesture with the camera okay okay I think the universal word for okay is is understood by everybody Um, and many times I show them a business card and it's got a photograph on there and I have many different business cards with different photographs depending on what I want to show them and then they could see that I know what I'm doing, more or less. Like whether it's a person or it's a picture of a, you know, Burma or whatever it is, they can kind of see. Oh, oh he, he he's a photographer. He's not just a tourist, you know. Yeah. And so um, I don't have a problem going up and and asking someone if I can take their picture. I'm really nice about it. And only once in a while does somebody say no. It and been, but in terms of the signing the release, if you're not speaking the same language, how do you negotiate that? Well, in this time in China, we actually printed out a whole bunch of releases in Chinese, ah, okay. which was which was cool because, um, it, you know, when I was in Burma, we actually had our taxi driver write out what we wanted to say in Burmese. Um, it kind of de- de- depends. A lot of times where, where we are around the world, we get people to be translators. A lot of times they're guides or taxi drivers or, or whoever else and travel agents, and they can help us translate stuff and find us people and find us the right guides. The guides explain it to the people that we're shooting. You know, shooting a little girl on top of a temple in, in Bagan in Burma. Um, let her know this is what we need and we're going to give you money, but we need you to sign a release. Literally, if they don't sign a release, it's really tough wanting to take the picture. It could be the most beautiful thing in the world. Sunset is one thing, but if there's any people in the shot... If you're, so even you know, before you've taken the photograph, you have to negotiate the release. Otherwise. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't shoot the picture and say, hey, by the way, can you do a release? That happens sometimes if i got to catch the shot right then. Mm-hmm. But mostly, I don't like to surprise them with it afterward. But it does happen, even locally here. I, you know, I might shoot somebody playing basketball and say, hey, i got a great shot of you. If I send you a copy, would you sign a release? And more than often... 
they more than not they, they, they all say no problem and they give me the email address they don't care about the picture being used somewhere they want to know that they're going to get a copy of it so that's that's a good point it's yeah it's, getting releases is a major hassle so how did you find your way into into stock um pretty much with through jim zuckerman that bum <laughs> um um you know him for many many years and just i really really envied what he was doing he was traveling all over the world shooting amazing stuff from machu picchu to cambodia and everywhere in between, all through Europe, and the shots were amazing. I mean, he was a huge, huge inspiration for me. And um, I met I met him through the, one of the local camera stores here. They asked me if I would assist him in a lecture he was giving, and I said sure. I didn't even know who he was, but I had been I'd seen his articles in popular photography and magazines like that, and caught and kept them because I keep all the best articles in magazines, and. I had articles on him. I didn't even put him together until years later when I go, whoa, this is Jim's stuff. Because um, he's absolutely brilliant. And he was brilliant in the darkroom, brilliant photographer. And, and now I've pushed him to get into digital. And he finally bought a 1DS Mark II and it's changed his life. So he was a spokesman for Mamiya with Annie Leibovitz. And now he's shooting digital. And it's funny because he's touring the United States giving digital seminars and I give him a hard time and go oh so they're giving you giving a digital seminar really so when did you get into digital Jim <laughs> it's kind of funny because I've been a digital since I mean for I haven't shot film in almost six years and he's been doing it maybe a year and a half or so and it's just kind of funny but um, he he was a big inspiration to me with with stock and I he just kept pushing me kept pushing me well this is what you got to do this is what you got to do it's the stock agencies don't care what you're giving them now. They want to know, what, do you, what are you giving me next week? And he would tell me how hard it is and what to do. And so I've been shooting for years and years trying to prepare to submit my stuff to different agencies. And I'm in the middle of writing a stock photography class right now, and they want me to teach stock photography at the local camera store here, a class. And, you know, after you have enough friends that are stock photographers, I have so many friends with Getty, Corbis, um, many, many agencies. And... We all hang out. We all talk. We travel together sometimes. Um, we try not to shoot the same stuff, obviously, because those are called similars. But the one thing I tell people is um, if you want to be a stock photographer, um, in my art, in my class I talk about the rea- realities of stock. It is very, very tough. But number one, you're probably not going to get in with a big agency unless you are good and you're doing something different than somebody else. That's the truth. They have enough pictures of sunset in Hawaii, you know, to, to make them go nuts. You have to be shooting something different. You have to, um, you know, be looking at magazines. You have to be watching TV commercials. You have to be using your head to think, "Whoa, that is cool. This is different. I need to be shooting like that." You need to be going on all the different stock agencies and type in "girl floating glass pool raft," all these keywords of things, and think, "Whoa, this." This is amazing, and 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 uh, what can I do that's even better? And so, being a stock photographer, it, you have to be one step ahead, and it's a good chance that you're not. There's a good chance you're going to maybe end up with a smaller agency or two, and not one of the big ones because they are so tough to get into. And thanks to Jim Zuckerman, I was able to get into Corbis. He put in a good word for me, so it kind of is who you know. Also, yeah, that, that helps. Um, the whole nature of of stock has been changing, you know, with the. Uh, um, Royalty free, royalty free, and oh, things yeah. like that, mm-hmm. making it uh-huh. all the more uh, uh-huh. uh, challenging for someone to make a living mm-hmm. um, as as a photographer. But um, 
how do you how do you contend with that? Because with uh, ro- with royalty free. Well, or how has that affected your your ability to, to make a living as a, as a photographer? Because I know there are a lot of people who used to make a you know good living thought that they were going to retire based on their stock. Fifteen and now, years ago, yeah, the good yeah, days, the good old days, yeah. Well, r- the proliferation of royalty free images. And these micro-stock agencies that pay you a penny or three cents for your picture or whatever, and they try and work on volume. Let's sell your image like hundreds of times rather than once or twice a year. Um, ro- Royalty-free, it's, it's really where It's kind of like a double-edged sword. They, they pay you less. They pay you typically 20% rather than 40 or 45% or even 50%. Alamy pays 65%. Um, most of them pay, though, about 40%. So you're getting about half what you would normally get. But... And the other thing about royalty-free is that that image can be used like over and over and over again. Rather than a rights-managed image, which is set for a particular time period, um, it, as a photographer, you kind of feel like you're being taken advantage of with royalty-free. And with all of the CDs that came out for the past 10 years and a multitude of these images, in my opinion, I think royalty-free has just killed the stock market because it's inundated with 50 million images of Grandpa blowing out the candles at his birthday party and, 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 and beautiful women in every kind of pose in the world doing everything in the world. Um, um, it's, I think it's hurt, it's hurt stock photography a lot. But on the other hand, talking to different friends, including Jim or whatever, and we count up the royalty-free sales, and it adds up to a nice, substantial check. Now, who knows if royalty-free wasn't around, if those same images would have sold as rights-managed. But um, I personally don't like it, and I have other friends who will absolutely not do any royalty-free at all. But I've changed my mind, and with my different agencies, I've said, you guys, pick which ones you think would be better, because they have an eye. And um, they're counting on multiple sales for those things, much more than the rights-managed ones. So they're hoping you'll sell them many more times throughout the year than a few times a year on certain images. So... I'm not a big fan of it, but I'm getting more used to it, and I think a lot of photographers are too. I know I, I know some that are making an absolute fortune on royalty-free, and that's mm-hmm. all that they do. So it really depends where your head's at. And you, you specialize primarily in, in people uh, abroad, well, or do you... Well, I'd have to say, and the same thing I'm writing for the lesson... Um, the number one way you're going to make money in stock photography is having people in your picture. There's there's no doubt about it. You can shoot the most incredible high-tech stuff you want and the most amazing travel image imagery, but if there are people in that travel image and they're holding hands at the most beautiful location in the world, or you've got a mountain biker on the top of Krakatoa or whatever it is, someone hanging and jumping off, bungee jumping off a helicopter, if somebody is in that shot... Um, Anything to do with lifestyles and people and business and people and, uh, and medical and people, anything, any of the top things, adventure travel and, and, and people, um, it's one thing that to take the, the people out of the adventure, but if you have the people in the adventure, it's a complete different image and that's what's going to sell because people are what make advertising sales go through the roof. So I just was writing one of my lessons on people. You want to make money in stock whoever you can get you go get all your cousins and say I need you for this Saturday you get your relatives if they have a new baby I've got a shooter let me do I do this all the time I just took a class and we shot a pregnant girl the other day pregnant women are huge There's they're being inundated with pregnant women on the stock agencies but if you get something different they're going to take your shot I have several pregnant women on uh, you know on my agencies uh, things like that I mean whatever it can be 
I, I see somebody that has an amazing look, an incredible tattoo, a beautiful, beautiful Latin girl that's got an amazing haircut. My cousin came in from out of town from Santa Cruz, and she'd got the most beautiful red hair cut in this incredible way. She's a hairstylist. It was breathtaking. I said, we got to shoot. Both of my agencies, my big agencies, took so many shots of her. It was amazing. Different angles and different looks. Mm. Had her with laptops and different things. I had her looking in the camera, sticking her tongue out. Um, it, it, they really want people that look interesting. They got pierced tongues, whatever, whatever it is, an amazing tattoo, you know, right below their their neck or something like that. All of this stuff is what 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 sells things. And stock, um, if you want to be making money, you got to be shooting rights managed stock photography um, that's rights managed and, and, and not editorial you want to shoot editorial you don't need a release but it's going to end up in a newspaper it's going to end up in uh, some kind of news service that you absolutely don't need a release and you'll make a lot less money and probably sell less images too one of the classes you're teaching now at Better Photo is that class you're doing on, on faces mm-hmm. um, tell me about your approach to photographing people particularly um, portraits um, particularly portraits that's funny you call them portraits. Um, I never call them portraits. Um, I saw in your class you call it portraits and posing techniques. Um, I, I don't like to use those two words. No offense. Um, portraits sounds too formal to me. And posing um, sounds very formal to me also. Kind of almost like I'm working with a mannequin. So <clears throat> I like to kind of call them um, just great shots or shots of the face or or what, what can I say? Or let me move you in this position. I don't say, let me pose you like this because it almost sounds like they're going to be posed and I don't want to be working. I've shot enough mannequins. I don't want to feel like I'm working with a mannequin. Um, I I love meeting people that, that, that are very have a great look. Um, and I it, it, it takes me about two seconds. I put my fingers together, my hands together. I look through, make my own little camera, just with my hands. And I can tell in a second, I think, if that person is going to photograph well. Mm-hmm. I can see what they're going to be like behind the camera. I can tell if they're going to photograph well. I really, really can tell after I put the camera in front of their face. The second I hold it up, there's something about almost like being a movie director. I can tell mm-hmm. if it's going to be a good shoot, and I can tell if I'm going to capture something. There's many times I look through and I go, oh, shit, this is not going to be a good day. <laughs> and more often than not, excuse me, it was not a good day. And... Um, and I don't like when that happens. Obviously, I'm sure you don't either. But I like to um, get people that look very interesting. And what I do is I, I, I'm I, really into lighting. I mean, everything about photography is, is dealing with the light. So whether I'm shooting indoors, I'm shooting outdoors, whether I have strobes or kinoflows, fluorescence or hot lights, or I'm outdoors and I'm shooting with reflectors or flash fill or just great um, open shade light or whatever it is, I've... If I have my person, uh, you know, ready there in different clothes and everything like that, I really look for the location first. Where do I want to shoot them? Like we did that, we did that mm-hmm. group shot for out for all the uh, better photo yeah. instructors. No one was sh- sure where to go, and they were like, how about over by the tree and everything. And I looked back and I saw the house has three levels. We have the grass and we have all the steps and we have the upper balcony. I thought we have all these people. That would probably make a nice layered look and it ended up it, it did and I just saw they just put it on the website which made me feel really good I really like that shot but that was a lot of people when you're focusing just on one person or maybe two it's a whole different animal and I think it takes you I, at least for me it takes years to refine it takes years you don't just start shooting people overnight one of my students last night blew me away with a couple of images 
that I couldn't believe. We did a studio shoot, and we had a pregnant girl. We had um, my little friend, Stevana, um, uh, and we we had uh, a little girl that was 13 years old. Uh, so Stevana, Stevana was 16, and the little girl was 13, and we had the pregnant girl. This guy took shots of the little 13-year-old girl who was very awkward, wants to get into modeling, not very pretty. The shots absolutely blew me away. And I told this guy, you're on your way. Because I saw some other shots when we went to the Disney concert hall that he was far above the rest of the class. And I'm like, you are good. I can't say too much to you because I'm going to upset the rest of the class. Some people are just good. This guy is good. And with me, it took me years before I finally realized that I'm starting to feel what you know what somebody's persona is what their feeling is like what what i want to capture from them and i try and capture who this person is whether it's a little girl on the top of a temple or it's you and i photograph you later today mm-hmm. i want to find what 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 side of you looks the best what kind of light is going to make you look the best whether your eyes are looking at me whether they're closed whether you're looking away the best clothes for you that's going to kind of make you look like who you are and it's all about it's all about the lighting i mean i'll just I am not happy until that lighting is just perfect and I captured you exactly how I wanted to capture you and it's all it's a whole interaction too. I show you, I put a loop on my LCD screen and have you look at it so you can really see it magnified and you tell me, yes, I like that. If not, then we go for something else because I want to please you also. So it's it's tough, but I think it takes it's something that doesn't happen overnight. Shooting people is really it's a it's a tough thing and it's a never ending learning experience. And I love I love shooting people and capturing whether they're kids, whether they're babies, whether they're uh, grown up and they're in a group or whatever like that. It's a it's a tough one. I know you you have your course on it. It's a it's not the easiest thing in the world to. You that can be very gratifying. Yeah, it really is. And just that interaction that it provides you, because for me, one of the things I stress in there is about just the connection. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. we're 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 That's all right. so isolated in today's world yeah. that. The act of taking a picture of someone allows you to make a connection, even even momentarily. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's with someone you know or a complete stranger. Yeah, I've seen your but stuff on the buses and stuff. You just meet them and you say, "Can I take your picture?" Right? Yeah. Or you don't even ask sometimes them, right? Sometimes not, but yeah. but it's just like. But when I am taking a picture of a person and they're conscious of it, it just gives me an opportunity to just kind of connect for mm-hmm. just just for for that small amount of time. Mm-hmm. And for me. That gets to be more of the pleasure of photography than just yeah. getting the photograph. It's a cool interaction that goes on. Yeah, especially yeah. when traveling, because oh. you can go, you can go all over the world and stay in a hotel and go to restaurants that could be anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. But when you have the opportunity to connect with the people that are there, you it, get to experience the place in a way that you can never. It's it's so it's so true. I could give you so many instances. A kid meeting a little monk kid. And actually taking him up to a window in a monastery and posing him and having my friend sit outside with a gold reflector to push light back up there. And know that I'm taking the shot and this kid has never been photographed before and is so into this and I'm telling him how to pose or whatever and what look I want. Um, not that he speaks my language, but I have an interpreter. To, to have that kind of, like you're talking, interaction and memory of it is just amazing. And that's the cool thing about being a photographer. If you're a movie director, <clears throat> somebody has to sit down and watch that movie. Whether it's a quick time movie or it's a two hour movie, it's a long thing. But a photograph, you can put it on the wall, and everyone in the world can see it. You can put that photograph on a website. You know, you can have it in a book. It's so cool. I l- love it. I grew up in the movie business. My father used to run movie studios, and I love the movie business. I also hate it, but I love movies. But 
it's a sit down and you know you can't just be making movies and say hey come over here I want you to see my movie you could always just email a photograph to somebody mm-hmm. or bring a photograph to a party and say yeah look what I just shot it's such a cool thing and people are like whoa where were you this is so cool for me there's so much gratification um, with photography I I I absolutely love it, and it's all about memories. When I was just had landed in Istanbul last year to see one of my best friends, we decided to walk in town, and thank God I brought my camera. We walked from her little place to, to go get something to eat. On this cobblestone street in the middle of nowhere, I found one of the most beautiful little girls. She must have been six that I've ever seen in my life. I mean, cover of National Geographic beauty, um, third world look, you know, and and I gestured, ah, yeah, yeah, with my my camera and I positioned her right in the doorway of her of her home with this big brown door and I had my friend Tracy hold a gold reflector out there to give a little light back in there because she was too dark got my tripod out got my Canon out with my 7200 <clears throat> image stabilizer on I'm shooting away and, and no no dude, turn turn you know they, she didn't understand me but I would gesture with my hands on my head which I do all the time and I got some shots on there and I got to me National Geo cover looks from this little girl that I absolutely love and it turns a lot of heads when people see it and it made me within five minutes she was gone and she never came out again she closed the door I got it it took me five minutes and she did it and I have that memory forever it's the coolest thing in the world I have it on my website Um, other people can see it and I will never forget where I was right when I took it and you're right it's that kind of feeling more than anything you can watch the most beautiful sunset of your life but it's meaning these people especially the kids around the world that, that does it for me and if there's one thing I would love to do in my life it would be to do a book on kids around the world yeah. it was it's one of my goals to do because I just love kids and shooting shooting pictures of them well the way I like to end it is by asking um, what one photographer you would you recommend <laughs> that listeners uh, go explore and why oh well there's there's so many um, and of course I could bring up some of the greats um, going back from from day one, but it's kind of funny. Um, I'd have to say, I would have to say Melvin Sikorsky, um, not because I know him, and not because he's still alive, um, because I've learned probably more from him than anybody. Um, he he is just drills into me about pushing and pushing and pushing and using your head and going into your mind's eye and pulling everything out that you can. Don't stumble across everything. Plan on where you're going to be, what you're going to do. And um, I told you he was on staff at Harper's Bazaar when he was 19 with Richard Avedon, one of the most amazing photographers of all time. He won the international, he won the photographer, fashion photographer of the year, I think a year or two ago, from the International Photography Awards. I was with him at the Hilton, and it was like getting an Academy Award. It was a huge thing. Steve McCurry was there. He got photojournalist of the year. He's the one that did that Afghan girl on the cover of National Geographic. Um, Melvin Sikorsky. Um, it's um, it should be uh, Sokolsky S O K O L S K Y dot com, um, I believe is his website. Um, he's just an amazing photographer, someone that I admire very much. And uh, if you want to learn really about photography, look at his images and analyze him, and you you will learn a lot. So he's somebody that I greatly I greatly admire. Well, thanks, Scott. I really appreciate it. It was great. Barnex, thank you, buddy. Well, thank you for tuning in for the show. I uh, really appreciate you subscribing. Please tell all your friends, and if you haven't already, please uh, write a comment on the iTunes uh, Music Store uh, telling everyone what you think about the show. 
If you have any comments or suggestions, please feel free to email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or leave a note on the blog at thecandidframe.com. Until next time, this is Ivarian X. Perello, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com.